Um, Matt Essam, thank you very much for being on the Shelf Impactors podcast today. Um, for anyone who doesn't know very much about you, Matt is a business coach. Um, you take on specialist clients, so you're quite selective who you work with, um, but you work with freelancers and small businesses. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and how you came to be here today? Yeah, sure. So my journey really started because I had my own agency. Uh, it was a kind of very small boutique agency. And I, in about 2015, I just finished reading the four hour work week. Have you read that book? I have indeed. <laughs> yeah, Tim Ferriss, right? Yep. Um, and I kind of got this thing into my head about like, world travel, passive income, uh, lifestyle design, all the stuff that he talks about. And I built this agency and I kind of felt like work was either really creatively fulfilling and really exciting, but never had a budget that was big enough for us to really work with. Yeah. Um, or it had a really great budget, but it was pretty boring. And sometimes we didn't ever want to put it on our portfolio. And so I was like, well, what about if I just do the work that's well paid and I get my kind of fulfillment from traveling the world and working from a beach in Thailand. So I kind of set off around the world with this boutique agency. I built it so it was fully remote and it was great for about six to eight months. And then I got to this point, I was traveling in Canada and I was snowboarding at the time, right? And I had filled my Instagram feed with all of these kind of digital nomad, don't you wish you were me, uh, Mondays are fine, you just hate your job kind of posts, which I'm a little bit embarrassed about now. Um, but I was kind of from the outside living this incredible four hour work week, traveling the world lifestyle. But the truth was Lisa, like on the inside, it felt like things were totally different. And I'm, I'm sure you and, and everyone listening has had one of those moments in life where you kind of feel like, hmm, I'm pretending to the world to be maybe someone I'm not, or I'm pretending that I have everything together. And actually inside, I feel a little bit like a fraud. And so I remember this moment distinctively, I was sat on the side of a mountain in Canada. It was an incredible view. It was probably like a Tuesday afternoon. And I take this photo and I'm about to upload it to Instagram and I stop myself. I'm like, I can't ignore this feeling anymore that I just am being disingenuous or like I'm portraying something to the outside world that isn't true. And literally I kind of, maybe there was like a karmic moment. The universe must've heard me because at that exact moment, I get a message through from my mom that just says, please call me as soon as you can, which is like never a great message to get when you're on the other yep. side of the world. Right. Yep. <laughs> so I'm like, oh crap. So I go back to my hotel, call my mom. And she tells me that a family friend has passed away quite suddenly and unexpectedly. And that she thinks I should probably come back to the UK. And so I'm like, right, wow. You know, like one of those moments basically where everything just kind of gets shaken up. So I try and sell all my snowboard stuff as fast as possible, book the next flight back to the UK. And I kind of get back to the UK and, and the, the person that passed away was, was fairly young, right? So it's not as if it was, it was expected. Um, and I just kind of got to that moment where I was like, something needs to change here. And I think this is kind of my wake up call. And I remember I watched, I don't know if you've seen, there's a Steve Jobs commencement speech where he says, um, 
he gets up every day and looks at himself in the mirror and asks himself, if this were the last day of my life, would I be doing what I am doing today? And if the answer is no, too many days in a row, then he knows that something needs yeah. to change. Yeah. And that's kind of how I felt. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, this isn't actually what I want. I've got a bunch of clients that I don't like working with. Um, I don't get paid on time. I'm constantly in different time zones trying to fit calls in to fix stuff that I don't really care about. And, and I just kind of had to be faced with the reality that I'd built a business and then kind of tried to fit my life around it. Um, and I just made a, that decision there and then that I wanted to do it the other way around. I wanted to do work that I cared about with people that I loved working with. And I didn't care whether I had to eat pot noodles for the next six weeks in order to do that. I, I just realized that that was the important thing in life. And that was kind of the start of, of this journey of kind of where we are today. And I can tell you a little bit more about the next phase, but that's kind of the, the baseline context of like how I got to that point. And I think we'll dig a little bit deeper into that later on, because there are things that I've listened to when you've done other interviews that talk about um, this finite time and how you you read Daniel Priestley's book and Tony Robbins and you wanted to compress that. So that's something it's something I'm very conscious of. So maybe your story probably resonates with me a little bit as someone who's traveled here, there. And whenever I feel like something's a little bit static, I, I, I seek to change it and shake it up. Um, and I think there are a lot of those moments. And just because everyone looks to you, where the, especially when you're the other side of the world and goes, but you have the perfect life. You're doing everything you want you're on a beach you don't know, work all the time and and all of these things that seem perfect to other people aren't exactly the reality and you've kind of turned yeah. that into your mission to help other people actualize that I guess through your through your coaching and in the styles and the businesses that you work with um, you've tried to pass that on so tell me a little bit more I know we kind of had like a real structured set list here and I'm kind of riffing a little bit instead and going off in tangents and directions um, so let's talk a little bit in terms of how you help other people based on that journey. Yeah. So what was interesting is I started with, so I was actually working with Daniel Priestley at the time and I was doing a lot of introspection to kind of figure out what was the business that I wanted to build. And he encouraged me to start with the who first. So like, who did I want to surround myself with? Who are the kind of people that lit me up? Who did I really want to help? And what problems did they have that I might be able to solve? And so what I realized was that actually the people I enjoyed working with the most were other creatives. And so early on, the pivot was just simply to take the existing agency, which was predominantly kind of social media marketing, websites, photography, that kind of thing, um, and just help other creatives. So we started off helping artists. We started off helping like photographers, other designers. Um, and that was fine, but I did keep kind of coming up against this budget issue, right? It was like, oh, great. I'm back to yeah. <laughs> category two, which is really fun, exciting, but not well paid. Yeah. Um, and I started to just share with those people the stuff that I was learning from other very successful entrepreneurs who had the money side and seemed to have the kind of fulfillment side. So you know, I was really lucky to be working with people like Daniel Priestley and I had some, some other mentors as well at the time. And I just started sharing some of these kind of fundamental business principles, really. And what happened really blew my mind because what we noticed was that the fundamental principles and ideas that we were sharing with our clients for free were having more impact 
on their bottom line, their sense of purpose, how much they could charge than any of the stuff that we had done for them previously, their website, their social media, all of that stuff. And it just kind of evolved from there where people started saying to me, how much would you charge for consultancy and to come and you know consult about my business? And I was like, I don't know. I've never really thought about that. Um, and, and it was one of those moments where I was like, hold on, something's the wrong way around here. You know, like all the stuff that's actually making the most impact I'm doing for free and all of the stuff that isn't really moving the needle I'm charging for. And so I just kind of saw if I could switch that on its head. And that's really where this business today evolved from. It started with these kind of like basic business principles that made some fundamental shifts. But then I combined it with a lot of the stuff that I'd actually been doing on the side um, around kind of coaching and personal development. I'd always been in into that world. And what Daniel Priestley and, and a few other coaches helped me see was that actually all the stuff that I was doing in my spare time and all of the other hobbies that I had were putting me in a u- unique position to help these people. And it wasn't just about the business fundamentals. It was actually about all of the journey that I had been on through that introspection and all of the things that happened to me in my life and the books that I had read and my ability to, I suppose, see things that other people couldn't um, and really kind of help them work through a lot of the internal challenges, I suppose, that I think a lot of creatives have around imposter syndrome and um, being good enough to charge that amount of money and all the fear that comes with, well, what about if I just work with these people and I lose all my clients? It's like the strategy side of things is great, but what about all the stuff that comes up when you have to implement that strategy? Does that make sense? It does. And I think that's one of the interesting things. So we have a shared friend, um, Chris Doe, um, and I think he's yeah. another one who's very good at extracting people's stories from them. And I think mm. for a long time, and I still do it now, I go like, no one will be interested in your story. What, what, what relevance is it? But I know that you mentioned on a show with him about how you get people to map down their stories. And that's a really good way of finding those pivotal moments, the ups and downs that shape and make you who you are, which ultimately that to a certain extent for any brand, for any business, for any person, that is the strategy. It's how you tell Mm. a story. Otherwise we're all the same. So I think your own journey, and, and I get excited for the same reasons as working with creative people is that I actually love how different we all are and how you can help them extract that. And and business can be exciting. People probably don't always think that. And I think creative people get a bit scared by the term of business and how to make it make money. That's the thing we kind of struggle with putting the pieces together. Um, And obviously it kind of, it gets you super excited as well. Yeah, and that was a massive turning point for me because I think I actually had studied business at university and I'd done some stuff at school and it was all like economics, it was numbers. (laughs) And I kind of went down that route a little bit when I first came out of university and I just hated it. Like I hate anything related to numbers and, you know, people in suits and accounting and all of that stuff. And I think a lot of creatives, when you say the word business, that's the image that comes up for them. And so I think being able to surround myself with people who are doing things in real life, like real life entrepreneurs, not the entrepreneurs in an MBA, like organizational behavior and economics and all of this stuff that makes sense on a, uh, you know, like a academic level. But actually when you take it into the real world, it doesn't really apply to anything or it applies to a very minute number of businesses. And I think 
having that chance to sit down, you know, I had some friends as well that had rapidly grown some agencies and, and being able to kind of sit down and have lunch and pick their brains on what happened when a certain um, challenge came up in their business. Like, how did they think about it? What did they do? What was the strategy? And I was like, this is really fun. You know, like this is actually something that not only is interesting, but really has the potential to enable people to have massive impact. And I think that's the thing that I always missed from like the academic side of business was how does this relate to the real world? And like, I never managed to make that connection until I actually started hanging out with entrepreneurs that had built several, you know, seven figure businesses over the last like 10 years. And they were just prolific at it. Um, and like being able to spend time with those people made me realize that I think now when I look back, like business is the ultimate vehicle for having more impact in the world, helping more people and actually leaving a legacy, something that you can be proud of that kind of lives beyond you. Definitely. And in terms of the people that you work with, so you work with freelancers and small businesses. How I know you pick them. How do you pick them? Like, is it as much as I loved one of the quotes that you actually had about had about actually liking to work with people that you felt you could be mates with? And I think because, like, you know, Absolutely. I mean, I work for a big agency, but I actually there are some clients that I'm really close to as people. And I, I, that's what makes me love the process. I love doing work for those clients because I love them as people and that there's a different level of respect there. So is that how you pick who you work with or, or who you're going to help? Yeah, there's, there's two things really. I mean, obviously we've got to like them and they've got to fit into our community because we only, we're not like one of these coaching companies that just wants to get like hundreds and hundreds of clients and, and try and scale as fast as possible. We work with about 30 probably maximum 40 clients a year. And we've built a really cool community of people. And I think the thing that they all have in common is they're all the top 10, if not even the top 1% of their industry in terms of the level and the quality of their work. So these aren't just people who have come out of university. They're still trying to master their skill. They have usually a minimum of 10 years industry experience, but typically 15, 20 years, they've been doing what they do for in some capacity. And they're just extremely good at what they do. Like their work is mind blowing. Um, and so that's, that's one of the things that we look for. The second thing we look for is personality types. For us to get results with our clients, they have to be open to new ways of thinking and new ways of being because as one of my mentors says, you know, your current thinking creates your current results. So if you're not willing to think about your business and your life and your situation in a different way and essentially adopt new beliefs and new identities, then you will pretty much stay at the level that you're at. So they have to be open to new ideas. They have to be open to pushing themselves out of their comfort zone. And they have to have a level of success because really when we're operating at that level, it's the one to 2% that makes the biggest shift. Um, and there's another phrase that I hear a lot in the kind of high performance coaching world, which is small hinges move big doors. Yeah. And so really like when we're working with people, we're often looking for the very kind of small distinctions that are going to totally level up 
their life and business. And so they have to have um, a foundation of skills and businesses and like they have to have some fundamental things in place for us to be able to really unlock that potential and kind of take things to the next level. Yeah, of course. And I guess if you're working with those top percentage in each of those, you like in the terms of Ikiga, you've got the people that are most passionate. They've put the work in or else they wouldn't be where they are. So I guess in engaging with you, they just want to push it that little bit further. It's kind of a natural solution. Yeah. Or or they've kind of become a little bit, um, I guess fed up is, is the most basic term. Um, they're just a little bit fed up with their business because it's not really giving them what they want. And they're often looking around either other businesses or they're looking at other roles you know they're seeing yep. creative director roles coming up for you know 80 grand 100 grand a year and thinking well that's like double what i currently pay myself and i have the whole responsibility of finding new clients and managing projects and i work on the weekends and so sometimes they kind of get to that point in their life where they're really just questioning why am i doing this like because at the start it was because i love the craft and i'm really into this but like this you know I'm, I'm kind of a little bit bored or I'm a little bit fed up with that yeah and do you think the pandemic has kind of accelerated some of those because I think it made everyone think differently I kind of love all these moments that give us the potential to change and massive shifts they're challenging at the time but I think that's probably when you get some of the better results so did you see any changes during the, the pandemic and you know was there more demand was there less demand <laughs> was people a little bit panicking yeah I mean, like the pandemic was a blessing in disguise for us in a couple of ways. Number one, it forced me to do something that I've been wanting to do for a while, which is um, take everything fully remote. Um, the second thing is it forced those people to sit back and look at where have I been, where are we now, and where do we want to go? And to be honest with you, that's one of the biggest challenges when it comes to new client acquisition, one of the biggest challenges we have is getting people to lift their head up out of the sand and look around and say, okay, what, I'm, what am I actually building here? What is the life that I want? Because for these people, you know, they're not, they're not struggling to get work. They're often struggling to get the right work and the right yeah. clients. And so they're in this perpetual state of reactiveness, which is, the next projects come in and there's a deadline and this client and that client and they're just kind of like busy in their business day to day and one of the biggest challenges is getting them to just pause and look up and kind of step back and look at the bigger picture and say okay where do i want to be in the next five years where do i want to be in the next 10 years do i have a retirement plan um, how much money do i want to be taking out of my business like how do i take a holiday without coming back and the whole business is you know, falling apart and clients aren't happy and, and those kind of things, because most people aren't thinking about that. And that just means that they're kind of going with the flow, they're going with the river. And before they know it, they're heading down the waterfall and it's too late to do anything about it. And do you find there's a difference between freelancers? And I mean, maybe we should say what a freelancer is. I, I know you've had this debate with Christo about what is a freelancer versus someone who owns their own business just because they're a sole trader. Um, and agencies is there a difference like it must be harder to work with people than the, when there's multiple people multiple stakeholders involved because you're managing all of those different expectations um yes and no what really surprised me and one of the reasons in the last few years we've pivoted to focusing more on kind of small boutique agencies is that a lot of those agencies have the exact same challenges that freelancers have when we talk about freelancers 
we're really looking at people who are solo founders and they want to level up. So they yeah. want to stop doing everything themselves. They want to scale. Um, so these are people who have their own clients and pretty much operate in a very similar way to a small agency other than they don't have any full-time employees. But when we're working with small businesses, you know, when we talk about a small agency, we're talking about less than a million. We're talking about kind of between 250,000 and one to 1.2 million. And that's what I was taught by Daniel Priestley is this kind of like boutique lifestyle agency um, where you can pick and choose the work that you want to do. You can have your weekends off. You can take a nice salary from the business. You can take long holidays and and everything still works. And then there's this kind of place between 1.2 million where you're kind of around 12 to 15 people. And then the next level, which is, you know, the kind of size of agency that you work for, which is like this performance business where everyone has their own division and you have systems and processes and, you know, it's, it's a whole different machine. It's a whole different beast. So we've kind of said like, we want to specialize in help, helping people build those kind of lifestyle businesses. And typically when people want to scale above and beyond that, unless I'm working one-to-one with the founder around kind of leadership and things like that. um, Yeah. We tend not to deal with organizations that have, big, big teams. We're usually coaching the founder or founders um, and maybe a small kind of management team or, you know, they're all, they're all kind of at a similar level because they tend to be quite flat. So there's, you know, there's anywhere between three and 10 people in, in the agencies that we work with typically. And are there any type of agency verticals that you prefer? Like what kind of, I mean, you must have all different types of agencies and people that you work with, but do you have any specialisms or things that really kind of fuel your fire? Not really, no. Like, I love the variety, actually. And what's interesting is a lot of agencies that we work with, when we encourage them to niche down and be specific, one of the um, reservations that they have about that is they don't want to be pigeonholed and they don't want to lose the variety of work. But what's interesting is when you niche down, you often get more variety. So, you know, we're saying we work with boutique agencies in the creative industries that earn between 250,000 and 1.2 million. Yeah. We're like very specific about who we work with, but actually there's a load of variety in that. So we've had the opportunity to work with, you know, like internationally recognized animators all the way through to uh, kind of, audio branding agencies that work with some of the biggest electronic music artists in the world, you know, your dead mouses, your Tiestos, all of those kind of people. So that really buzzes me that kind of one day I'm talking to a photographer and then the next day I'm talking to an audio branding agency or a voiceover artist or something like that. I actually love the variety because at a fundamental level, all those businesses are exactly the same. Um, It's just the type of people they work with and the kind of work that they do and, being able to be involved in indirectly in that work is actually really creatively fulfilling and interesting. And that's why we have this awesome community of like, Hey, we just did the Edinburgh tattoo and like, here's our projections and Hey, we did the, you know, Jubilee celebrations and, and Hey, we just did this thing with defective records and like, that's all going on in the community. And I think everyone buzzes off that, uh, like to an equal amount. And I think that's one of the draws about the creative industry. So I think, and I mean, notoriously years ago, people wouldn't 
celebrate each other's work but I think creatives are actually really good at saying well done to each other there's not a it's not as much of a competition it's a wow that was amazing you did a great job and I think that's probably where going for creative agencies to kind of use your skill sets is is one of the better communities to be in because it is exactly that yeah and especially when people realize that the people in the community aren't really their competition when you help them with that story piece and you help them with that niching you realize that you can have two photographers in the room but they will never be direct competition because one photographer's specializing in like food photography and the other one is specializing in helping like creative entrepreneurs and um yeah creative agencies or something like that so like those two people are never going to be in direct competition and that's why we're able to have kind of multiple skill sets and similar industries in the community without people yeah feeling threatened or like they need to protect their ideas and I think there's plenty of work to go around for everyone and to your point everyone's story is different everyone's purpose and and kind of what what gets them excited is different Mm, exactly yeah so how do you get people to tell their stories? How do you, because, and, and I know you've spoken quite a lot about how important it is to embrace your own narrative and then inject that into whatever it is that you're doing. How do you do that? Yeah, so there's kind of several stages. And for anyone that's read Donald Miller's work, um, they'll probably be familiar with the different archetypes and the, and the arc of the story and, and things like that. But we kind of go back a layer where we actually get people to just deconstruct their life. And I think one of the biggest things for me, one of the biggest ahas when I was going through this process was, oh, actually the fact that I did a life coaching qualification five or six years ago, and the fact that I actually know quite a lot about NLP and the fact that I, in my twenties, went through a very stressful period and started having panic attacks and learned how to deal with that. And and all of these things actually relate to the business that I'm building today. Like everything that's happened to you in your life is relevant to your business. And I think once people can see that they want to dig down and they want to uncover things. And so I suppose the easiest way to explain it is just to give a few case studies and a few examples. So the first one that springs to my mind is a photographer we worked with actually based in Australia, based in Sydney. Um, uh, it's called Evan, Evan McLean. And he's just an awesome dude, incredible photography when he came to us and when he was first starting working with us he was doing a lot of events he was doing quite a lot of corporate stuff and it was okay he was earning good money um and you know he was kind of happy with where the business was was at but he just didn't feel like he was doing what he was called to do and so the process that we went through was kind of like going back through his life and, and looking at like what were the themes what what was consistent he studied I think it was like environmental science or something like that at university. Um, He had a bunch of stuff around the outdoors. He had, um, you know, fascinations with the built environment and all of these kind of things. And when we unpacked this story, it was so clear that that is where he should have been focusing with his photography. And he had a lot of this kind of incredible landscape stuff already, but he was like, Oh, you know, no one really pays for this. And, This is just something I do as a hobby. And it was about helping him marry those things up between the kind of commercial problem solving side of things and the imagery. And I think this is what a lot of creatives really struggle with is they get so fixated on their skill set. So for Evan, in his head, he was like, I am a photographer. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
that identity alone is so limiting and it's so like it doesn't do justice to, to everything that has happened to you up until this point and all of the soft skills and all of the things that actually allow you to solve a problem so one of the biggest mindset shifts that we often have to guide people through is this difference between a skill set or a service provider and a problem solver yeah and so part of this process lisa is kind of like helping them see how all of the events in their life all of the people that they know all of the hobbies that they have the things they geek out on in their spare time actually put them in a unique position to solve a problem for someone yeah and when they see that they're like oh yeah i'm not just a photographer like the camera and photography is just my tool and it's just like the output but there's so much more that goes into creating an image or a campaign or whatever it is that they're doing for that end client um and you know that process is really kind of taking them back through their life and then it's not necessarily about just telling one story. It's about telling the stories that are relevant to that person and that problem. And so for Evan, it was like when he was approaching certain kind of environmental agencies and organizations, it was like, oh, I actually studied this at university. And one of the things that we found was da 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 da. And he kind of tells this story about um the experience that he's had and then all of a sudden he's got rapport he's got the attention he's got the credibility with this ideal client and then there's a conversation to be explored about how do we collaborate how do we work together how do we help you with some of these challenges you're facing versus hey do you like these images do you think they could help do you like do you think yeah. your website would look better with them kind of thing yep and how do you deal with the people that give you a little bit of pushback so say, like for, for like I don't talk about my past because I don't want whatever the past is to dictate the future but ultimately over time and having mentors and friends like Christo and going actually that's made you who you are how do you how do you extract the information out of them because I I, I never have on the podcast and I don't talk about all of the things that I've gone through but then there's a part of me that like I live on the opposite side of the world to where I was born and there are reasons that that have led me here so how do you actually, how, what about those people that are a little bit less willing to kind of, to dig deeper into their stories? Cause I assume it's, it's super important. I mean, there's one, there's one really simple kind of response to anybody that resists the process, which is, you know, do you want things to be different to the, than to they are now? Right. Mm -hmm. And if the answer is yes, then they have to acknowledge that they have to do different things because doing the same thing and expecting a different result is I think it was Einstein's definition of madness, right? So there's a very like fundamental thing there. If if people meet resistance, it's like what just reminding them like why are they coming on this journey? What is it that they want to change? And understanding that if they want the external to change, they first have to change the internal. No, In relation to the gone, yeah. No, I was going to say no. I think that a lot of creative people are very reluctant to talk about. It's why we're so bad at self marketing or personal branding because we don't want it to be about us because we're so used to solving problems for other people. Yeah, well, the great news is that it's not about you. So the story piece is not about you in the context of, hey, look at me, I've had this incredible story, aren't I so great? Uh, Daniel Priestley talks about it, of kind of your story 
or he talks about the key person of influence, right? Becoming a yeah. key person, person of influence. And people have a resistance to that because they don't like putting themselves out there. And so he says, like, becoming a key person of influence isn't about being in the spotlight. It's about being able to shine the spotlight on other people. Yeah. Um, and in the context of story, the story isn't about you. The process of going through your story is to help you understand who you're uniquely positioned to help. Yeah. So there is a part of it that is um, introspective, that's self-focused and that's quite uncomfortable for people. But ultimately the end goal isn't for you to then go out and just constantly say, oh my God, you know, I've had this traumatic background and this happened to me when I was younger, yada, yada, yada. It's about you understanding why you're in a unique position to help these people. And it's totally up to you when you tell that story kind of what you leave in, what you take out. It just has to be relevant to the person that you're talking to. And I think it's a human response and it's how we build connection with people. If someone starts telling you a story about their sister, if you have a sister, you automatically relate to that, yeah. right? So it's like the power of story isn't about you, it's about our ability to build connection and to change people's perceptions and their ways of thinking. Like, so I see story as a tool to have more impact with yeah. other people rather than perfect. like putting myself in the spotlight. <laughs> I think that's perfect. I think that's a really well articulated. And I think that will help a lot of the people who listen to this podcast to understand the fact that it's it's actually never about you <laughs> and maybe in your yeah, early absolutely. career you think it's about you but it's not about you it's how you can empower or inspire other people it may become their survival guide in whatever it is so I think you articulated it really well there I think people really appreciate yeah it. and just just on that note I think that concept I just want to underscore it because it applies to so many aspects of life and business that people get stuck on anytime someone comes to me and says, I'm feeling really un unconfident about sales, or I'm really struggling with raising my prices, or I don't want to go and reach out to people, whatever it is, the crux of that problem is always that they're way too focused on themselves. Yeah. So they're more concerned about their perception of themselves or other people's perception of them than they are about the impact that they can make or the person that they can help. So being able to shift your focus and realize that none of this is about you. Like, obviously we want to practice self-care and self-love and boundaries. And we want to build a business that gives us what we want. You know, there's no point in going out and being a martyr and just serving other people and it not serving you. It's got to work both ways. But ultimately all the stuff that we're talking about isn't about you it's about figuring this out internally so that you can have the confidence to go out there and actually have the impact that you were born to have and unlock your creative potential and do cool projects and help awesome people and ultimately as corny as it sounds make the world a better place yeah it really is that's a better take on the word purpose after a year of everyone trying to search for theirs i think you you said that really well thank you um, so what about the future then um, for agencies, for freelancers? How do we get people future focused? If there's someone listening to this today, they're like, I'm a little bit stuck being a 
creative, albeit someone who's got an agency and I don't know where to go now, what are some real simple tips and tricks if they can't necessarily afford to work with you and your team? Where can people start? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's a real fundamental question that we all have to ask ourselves and it can get a bit deep because ultimately I think the thing that shifts it for most people, like you said at the beginning of this podcast, is the realization that time is not infinite and that we are all going to die one day and it's probably going to be sooner than we hope. And that's like a depressing thought, but it's also an inspiring thought in the sense that there is no point in doing stuff that you don't want to do for people that you don't like. And I can't remember what the fight club quote is, but you know, something along the lines of most people spend their life working a job they hate to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. Yep. Um, and it's like, just not worth it, you know? And I think that's the realization I had. And unfortunately it took a, a death in, um, of a family friend and, it's really often we start with some of those fundamental questions and, and something that really shifted for me was when someone just asked me, well, what would you be doing if you knew you couldn't fail? Yeah. And what would you be doing if you knew you only had three years to live and money was no object? Like, where would you be going? Who would you be spending your time with? And, and kind of just riffing on that for a while. So one of the exercises that we do with our clients is, is around values. And I know you're kind of big on this, especially from like a, branding perspective yeah but values for me on a kind of personal and business context ultimately come down to an emotional state like everything that we do in life is because we want to feel a certain way and we often spend our lives doing things that we think are going to make us feel a certain way but we never really get that thing so we're chasing more money um a better career a nicer car whatever it is that new project that's you know been on your radar and like oh if i just get this project i'll feel successful or if i just have this much money in my bank account i'll feel like the business is secure and as long as it's based on external stuff you will never fully experience it so we have to flip it on its head and start with like, what are the emotions we actually want to experience on a day-to-day -day basis? How do I want to feel? And then the question is, what are some ways that I can start feeling that on a daily basis now? Yeah. Not at some point in the future. Like, how do I get that today? How do I give myself a sense of security today? What can I appreciate in my life that is already secure? Maybe it's just the fact that I know I have a roof over my head. Maybe it's the fact that I know I've got an incredible family and incredible friends and no matter what happens in my life, I will always be able to sleep on someone's sofa or spare room. Like yeah. that really, when you think about it, a fundamental kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs level yeah. is ultimate security, your food, your shelter, your health. And so it's about appreciating that and giving yourself more of that feeling every day because then all of the other stuff just becomes an amplification of that like if you're not already experiencing that emotion then you operate from a place of lack and a place of scarcity and you're always trying to get whereas if you fill yourself up with those emotions then you can come into the world and into your business with a sense of giving rather than getting and that transforms your business and yeah. it's like a kind of counterintuitive principle that the more you give, the more you get. Yeah. And that's very hard for people to internalize when they feel they don't have enough for themselves already. 
I think it really think... as a person as well, doesn't it? Like I completely agree. I think once you start thinking about how lucky you are, um, and I think the values thing is a really good point. You're right. Like I'm super, it's only a few years ago that I worked on my own core values and I did the Ikigai thing and understanding these, even just five key values that I have written down, whether you go for a job, you go for a position, and even if it's a leader, if you can live up to those every day, there's something really rewarding. It's not about stuff. Mm. It's really not about stuff. And yeah. I think people don't really understand that. Yeah, and it informs everything, like the kind of clients you work with, the kind of business that you're building. And I think the problem with the creative industries and especially the world of branding is that these terms get thrown around so flippantly and we talk about, oh, what are your brand values? And yeah. and people kind of just start throwing words out there and they're like, oh yeah, I'm totally that, I'm totally this. And like you said on um, Jacob Cass's podcast, it's like, are you though? Like, are you actually living this? Is that who you are? Or is that like someone you're aspiring to be? Or is that an identity that you've created for yourself? Or are, are you actually living these values on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. Yeah, it's super important. And to assess them regularly. Because I think... Yeah, if I ever find myself like a little bit misaligned or yep. there's something in my life that's kind of like, I've got that like slightly empty feeling, it's always a values thing, right? It's always like... I'm not doing something that's giving me that sense of freedom. Like all of a sudden I felt like I'm chained to my business. Well, why is that? Oh, maybe it's because I've committed to this thing that I don't really want to be doing. And it feels like a drag all the time. Okay. Why did I commit to that? Like, is it something that I actually want to be doing? Um, what does freedom mean to me? Does it mean that I have to constantly be traveling the world or does it mean that I just have the freedom to kind of pick and choose who I work with or when I work and really getting like a clear definition of those things so that you can make it as easy as possible. And the way that we explain it to our clients is almost imagine like a, a menu in a restaurant and you're like, okay, it's really important for me to feel security. What's my menu of things that I can pick off on a daily pace basis that give me a sense of security? Because the more you experience it and the more you feel it, the more of it you will have. And that's the kind of counterintuitive bit is that people are looking at getting that need met from the outside. And yeah. so they operate from that place of lack. Yeah. And when you realize that you already have it and you can fill yourself up with that, then all of a sudden you start to experience way more of it. And people are like, oh, this is crazy. Now all of a sudden I have got loads of money in my bank account. <laughs> and now all of a sudden I am doing these things. But it's because they had that internal shift of giving themselves the gift of security or freedom or connection or whatever it is that they're craving now today, not some distant time, pretty much arbitrary things. Um, so what are your core values? Give us a few of them, your personal values. Yeah, I think- You don't have to give them those all. <laughs> interestingly enough, no, I just give you like two or three, which because and the Might reason I ask is sound a little bit surprising, but I think yeah, go on. No, I was going to say I think it's interesting because I think whether you attract people that are your own values is is what I think is why why I find it interesting as to what yours are. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, there there are a few that are kind of at the top of mind. Variety is one. So, if things become too samey and monotony then I get bored very quickly. And it has both positive and negative ways of manifesting itself. So some of the negative ways are 
that I often have to change my environment. So right now I'm here in Portugal. Um, I have to constantly be traveling, which sometimes for friends and family is quite difficult. Um, and then other ways that that sometimes negatively manifests itself is around if the business is going well and things are predictable and we built the systems, I have to kick the hornet's nest a little bit, break some stuff for it to be interesting for me again. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I think it's important to be really aware of how you get those met and some tendencies that you have or some patterns that you have to meet those values. But variety is a massive one. And I think a lot of creatives share this. I think a lot of creatives need variety in their life. Yep. Um, freedom is a big one for me that kind of ties into that a little bit. And significance is high up for me. And, you know, we can get down into the values needs debate quite quickly, but, you know, there's an argument that we all have the same fundamental emotional needs. And Tony Robbins is quite famous for talking about this and significance and variety and certainty are all up there. It's just a different order that we have them in. I think a lot of people need to feel significant. They don't like to admit it and they don't necessarily have good or productive ways to get those needs met. So for me, a big shift in my life was understanding how to get how to feel significant in a way that positively impacted other people and that's part part of the reason i've built the business that i have today is that it gives me an extreme amount of fulfillment and a sense of significance when we collectively help someone see their own potential and unlock their potential and realize that they have the ability to have more impact, to earn more money, to have more freedom, more time, uh, all of that stuff. That gives me significance because even if I only played a 10% part in that, I know I played some part in it. And I know that that person is now going out and the world is a better place because they're aligned with what they truly want. And they're actually going out and helping people to do positive stuff in the world rather than just churning out logos because they need to pay the bills. <laughs> no, I completely agree. Not onto the same level, but I just, even when you see great creative work come out of the studio and you know, you've been part of empowering that and the people are, are super excited to share that with you. It's super rewarding. It feels so good to see other people believe in themselves. It's really good. I, I have to share that one with Absolutely. you. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Um, I should have done our icebreaker question at the beginning, but I might have saved it for the end. <laughs> so if they outside of all okay, of the coaching, no outside of all of the coaching and work that you do, what's the biggest risk that you've taken and did it pay off? Oh, what's the biggest <laughs> risk I've taken? I find risk I'll try and keep this as concise as possible, but like I find risk a really interesting word. And Tim Ferriss, I think, defines it beautifully. Tim Ferriss talks about risk as the probability of an irreversible outcome. Yep. And I think when you look at risk through that lens, it makes you realize that most things in life are nowhere near as risky as you think. Whether it's starting a business, whether it's ending a relationship, whether it's moving to another country, whatever it is, it's not irreversible, right? Like if you don't like it, yep. then 
go back home. Like if the business doesn't work, you're probably going to be all right. You'll get a job or you'll start another business or you'll find another partner. Like there's not much in life apart from dying that's yeah. irreversible, really. Or it's not um, changeable. So it's not changeable. I think the I don't, biggest risk is no risk, <laughs> is not taking the risk. Yeah, exactly. Right. And and so I like, I don't, I think a lot of people from the outside would probably look at me as someone who takes a reasonable amount of risk, whether it's, you know, this year I invested more money I've ever invested in a coach, for example, which like, I didn't just have that money lying around. I committed to it. And then I was like, right, I need to go find a way to, <laughs> to get this now. Um, or, you know, running, going to different countries and just working in different countries. And it's risky in the sense that, I don't know, like here, I'm here in this Airbnb at the moment. And literally 10 minutes before we started the podcast, they started drilling the road outside and, you know, <laughs> like the internet sometimes drops out and like, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that goes wrong and there's a bunch of stuff that isn't the way that you think it was going to be, but ultimately it's not risky because like I said at the beginning, when you know, or when you notice, should I say, the level of security that most of us have in a time where we have the kind of support and resources around us. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel like that because it feels like the government's against us or it feels like the economy's going south or it feels like, you know, the job industry is this and that and the other. And, and like, I know there's stuff happening on a macro level, but when you look at your own life and you look around and you say like, okay, could I at least, you know, find the money to pay the rent for like the next two or three months? Okay. That's looking quite likely. Great. Like, even if I didn't, is there anyone I know in my network that would support me and even if we've got kids like would they let us come and stay with them for a while like i think you know the U ukraine thing is like such a beautiful example of that it's like these people had to flee their country and they had nowhere to live and people all around the world started taking them into their houses they started to give them food and shelter and i think that's just incredible right we live in that time where we're able to do that so i think when you start to notice the amount of security we really all have around us things just innately feel less risky yeah i agree i'm a big believer in a no regrets and i think you can figure anything out yeah you can, absolutely you can always, so you can i know that was a bit it. of a <laughs> i know that was a bit of a kind of like political answer to your question but you know i could have just made something up and be like oh this time when i did a skydive in new zealand that was crazy it was this massive risk but even that realistically when you look at the stats isn't that risky no, that was a great answer. Matt, thank you very much for being on. Do you want to give people your contact details? I will also put it into the show notes as well. Um, but how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, I've got quite a unique name. So if you literally Google <laughs> Matt Essam, most of the stuff that comes up is, is about me, uh, thankfully. What I would love to give as a gift to your listeners is just a free copy of my book. Uh, if you kind of want to dig down into some of these ideas and some of the things that we've been talking about a little bit more, you can head to create-prosper.com. Uh, and if you put that in the show notes or just search for create and uh, prosper and I'll then pop, my name. I'll pop it in the show notes too. Yeah, you can head to that page. And uh, at the moment, I think if you're outside of the UK, you can only get like the Kindle or the you know PDF version of it. But the book's there. There's no like hidden uh, things like, oh, now you have to sign up for my course or anything like that. Um, so yeah, you can download it and it's just a good way to kind of dig into some of these strategies a little bit more. Amazing. Thank you very much, Matt. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. 
Thanks for having me. 